0: divorce rather than jumping up and going and getting a divorce right now like i know you want to how many people have wanted to get a divorce married people okay everybody has their hand up everybody did you ever <laughs> did you ever want to get a divorce oh you got a divorce yeah once. i got one it, was fun. it wasn't fun so it's though like what did i want this for <laughs> <laughs> that's funny rex that's really funny Maurice Nicole said can you imagine that a man of great intellect perhaps has rotten being i like this question i like this question because it's a good thing for us to do to imagine that a man of great intellect perhaps has rotten being especially because in the west we worship the intellect so this makes it very difficult for us to imagine it's an acquired disease that's passed down for hundreds of years and protected as a sacred trust in the west we have the sacred trust to protect science to defend science. Science is our statue, it's our institution, it's our foundation that validates the intellect. It's an entire system created by the intellect, for the intellect, for the preservation of the intellect, and to install the intellect as God, as the number one absolute to follow. Now, there are going to be a lot of scientists who disagree with this. They have to. Just like there would be a lot of Catholics who disagree with me saying, well, Mary is not the mother of God. God doesn't have a mother. And you know, it's like, well, yes, Jesus was God and Mary was his mother and blah, 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 blah. Look, I don't care how you twist it around like a pretzel. God doesn't have a mother. That's all there is to it. No! So so that annoys Catholics. I don't say it to annoy Catholics. Look, I was raised Catholic. I love the Catholics. I love the Catholic Church. You know, I grew up in the Catholic Church. It was wonderful. I still love it. And I still love Catholics. No problem with them at all. But I will not say, oh, Mary's the mother of God. I mean, I can say it. I can say, sure, Mary's the mother of God. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is that this is a sacred trust for us in the West. For the West, science is the answer to all problems. We turn to science for everything. Let's say you get news that you have cancer. who do you turn to we turn to science that's who you turn to why if anybody's got an answer they have an answer why because you believe it that's why because you have acquired a whole system that you live in and you can't get out of not without huge effort you take huge effort to escape that system i'm not suggesting you make that effort i'm suggesting that you make efforts in another direction that may or may not free you from that institution but that doesn't matter That's not what the work is interested in. The work is not interested in freeing you from that institution of believing that science is the answer to everything. No matter what we come up with, for us, science answers all problems. The ones that are inherent in life, because we know that there are problems that are inherent in life. There are poisonous snakes. And they bite you. Their venom can really do damage to you. Science has an answer for that. And so we look to science and we say, well, what's the antidote? I've been bitten by a poisonous snake. What's the antidote? We don't go like an aborigine would go to his medicine man. And he would say, I've been bitten by a poisonous snake. And the medicine man would say, oh, really? Well, you should look at this or that about yourself. That's the first thing he would do. You should look at this or that about yourself to see why your brother the snake bit you. What? My brother, the snake, he bit me. He's killing me, you know? You can see how we look at things differently. We're just like, no, you killed the snake, right? Kill the snake, then go to the scientist and get the antidote, get an injection. But... Yeah, and of course kill all the rest of the snakes. Now snakes are enemies. Wipe them off the face of the earth, scientifically. Get a scientific method to wipe the snakes off the face of the earth. Oh, darn it. The snakes were eating the rats, and now we have this plague of rats. Now we have the plague. Oh, what are we going to do? Well, we've got to get some snakes. Well, where are there any snakes? Well, we didn't wipe them all off the earth. There's some hidden over here. Well, good. Let's get those and seed our area with snakes now. You see it? So it goes back and forth. That's science. And science is a reflection of the intellect gone insane, because that's all it is. It's a formatory apparatus going from one extreme to the other, back and forth. The problems that are inherent in life, like the ones I just said, and also the problems that science creates. Science has created global warming. Science has created smog, bad air. Science has created polluted water. That's what science has created, those things. Our scientific discoveries have done that. Science created radiation, and poisoning the earth, and poisoning the sea, and and poisoning whole areas for hundreds of years. Science created that. In other words, the intellect, running as God, created that. The intellect, without any restraint, without anything to guide it, created that, made that. That's what I'm saying. Science is a function of the intellect. The intellect looks for solutions. To have solutions, you first have to have problems. So, in a sense, the intellect is really looking for problems. Because without a problem, there's no need for a solution. Without a problem, if there's no need for a solution, what need do you have for the intellect? Because the intellect is all about solving problems. So you've got to have problems. So now the intellect, fortunately, in a scientific way, creates problems. So it can perpetuate its existence. Solutions ensure problems. And the ego, manifesting through the intellect, loves problems. Why? Because problems ensure its continuity. The ego's continuity, the false personality's continuity. Now, the ego and the false personality, I use those two terms interchangeably. They're not interchangeable any more than imaginary I and the false personality are interchangeable. But I use it as a kind of a shorthand to just speak in general terms about this as opposed to that. So there's a lot to the false personality. There's a lot to imaginary eye. I've given you an example about imaginary eye being like one of those dragons at the Chinese New Year when all the people get inside the dragon and they hold these sticks and then they move it up and down so the dragon looks like it's moving. It's not really a dragon. It's not really one, but there's this skin over all these people. And it moves in a way that it makes it look like it is one actual thing, when the truth is there's all these people underneath it working together to move it. That's what imaginary eye is like. It's the skin over all these many thousands of eyes inside of us that are moving and making the imaginary eye look like one thing, look like one eye. This is the illusion that we have to pierce. This is the illusion that we have to bring light to. This is the illusion that we have to observe and see that this is an illusion. It's not really that way. As we scratch the surface... We see that underneath there are many different eyes, but we talk about imaginary eye and false personality as if they were the same, but they're not the same. For people who are nitpickers, I think it's always a good idea to give them something to pick, give them a nit to pick, because that way their little barking chihuahua dog mind can be over there chewing its bone, and you might be able to slip something past the gate and get to their emotional center and drop a seed in there that could actually grow and bear fruit and be valuable to them. If they're here, if they're listening, there's a possibility. If they're not here, they're not listening, well, then there's no possibility whatsoever. What could that do for them? I am a believer in possibilities. That's why I do all this, because we have the possibility of evolution. And I think that's exciting. To me, that's an exciting prospect. The potential that we have is very exciting. The potential that you have, in my opinion is greater than the potential that your next-door neighbor has. And the reason it's greater is because you're here and he's not. And he's not because he has no desire to be here. He has no curiosity about this work. He has no need for this work. He doesn't even have a curiosity about having a need for this work, like most of the people on this planet. Most of the people on this planet don't even have a curiosity about having a need for this work. They hear this and they go, what a bunch of rubbish. I don't need that. You hear this and you say, what a bunch of rubbish. But maybe I need that. (laughs) The false personality the ego, I'm using these terms interchangeably, and they're not, and I want you to understand that. These problems ensure its continuity, which is its answer to eternity. It's not real, so it's not eternal. It's not going to last forever. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Your acquired self, your false personality, your imaginary eye, your ego has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. When you die, that's the end of that. It's gone, because it is completely identified with your body. So when your body is gone, when you leave your body, when you're out of your body, that's it. There will be things that cling, like a ghost. There will be thoughts and feelings. But eventually that will have to fade, because without a body, it cannot feed. And if it can't feed, it's going to diminish. The intellect has been turned outward toward the world, so it's lost its focus as well as its center of gravity that could benefit our development. The false personality, the ego, turns out toward the world, through the intellect, essentially through the intellect. And then it loses its footing. It loses its sense of what's real because it pays so much attention to the world through the five senses, to that perspective, that it forgets anything else. It forgets anything internal. It forgets anything real. It forgets anything that you knew when you were a child. In other words, you put away childish things. And when we put away childish things, we put away a lot of other good things with it. We put away the wonder that a child has. We put away the marvel that a child has. Of course, if you're looking at the world without all this stuff in between, (laughs) kids haven't acquired all the adult stuff to filter it all and to make themselves sound more adult and more mature and more acceptable. So they just say anything. How many more churches till Christmas? Or how many more till so-and-so's birthday? And they would count it like how many Sundays? till this or till that we would look at that and laugh because we know better we know not to say that then that's just stupid and childish but we really lose a lot don't we when we stop looking at life that way when we stop allowing life to be a marvel and a wonder when we stop allowing life to be fresh and present and right now when we start to filter life through the acquired self the acquired personality because we imitated people who are stuffy and negative negative and distant and out of touch with their essential self. And by imitation, we became like them. In other words, we went to sleep. But children are born awake, and we rock them to sleep or yell them to sleep or beat them to sleep or educate them to sleep. or All these things that we do to get them like us, to make them civilized like us. (sighs) I don't want to go there anymore. This work doesn't teach us to love one another. I hope you figured that out by now. It doesn't mean that conscious love is not the end, not an aim, not a goal. It only means that that's not something that can be taught. This work doesn't teach people to do things that can't be taught. This work teaches you how to do things that will lead to that end. If you do the things that this work teaches you, it will lead to conscious love. That's what I've found out. I was minding my own business. I didn't want to love anybody. (laughs) Why bother? You love people, you get hurt, right? The more people you love, the more people you're vulnerable to, and the more you can get hurt. So I didn't want to love everybody. Then I just kept doing this work, kept doing this work, kept doing this work. Next thing I knew, I was loving people. And I thought, I don't really like this. You know, I, don't, I don't think I want to do it. Are you laughing because you have this experience or are you laughing because I'm an idiot? Yes. Both? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I looked at that and I went, well, it does lead to conscious love. but It's actually a choice. Conscious love is an action of will. So this is the problem the work addresses. And it's a problem in each of us. We are divorced. Each one of us is divorced when this work finds us. That's how it finds us. It finds us divorced. The huge, nearly impossible task before us is to make oneself more conscious of one's ordinary state. This is a monumental task. You would think it would be simple. Just make yourself conscious of your ordinary state. But it's not simple. It's not any more simple than being able to pick yourself up off the ground. (laughs) You can't do that. You can jump for a moment and stay off the ground, but you can't pick yourself up off the ground like you could pick up a table or pick up a chair or pick up a ball or pick up something else you can't do that we are utterly blind to this because we are it we're blind to our ordinary state because we are our ordinary state we are so completely identified with our ordinary state our ordinary self our ordinary center of gravity our ordinary thoughts our ordinary feelings our ordinary life that we are blind to it what I've seen in working with people all over the world that they do not understand this work That has become absolutely clear to me. I have been all over the world and I have not met very many people who really understood this work. Their knowledge and their being are divorced. They have knowledge, but their being is divorced from their knowledge. I've said this to you in a lot of different ways. The most popular way is we all know better and act worse. Knowing is a function of knowledge, acting is a function of will. Will is a function of being. Our being and our knowledge are divorced. They are not married. They are not unified. The purpose of this work is to bring them together, to unify them, so that they begin to develop together. One can't get too far ahead of the other. If one gets too far ahead of the other, you have a big problem. It doesn't work. They have to pull together. They have to be like two oxen that are equally yoked in order to pull the cart. They have to be yoked together so that they can pull together. One can get a little ahead of the other and the other can get a little ahead of the other. They can do that, but they can never get too far ahead because they're yoked together. And so this is the whole idea of yoga, yoking, union. This is the whole idea of all of the things that we do is to unify these two parts of us. Remember that this is not all there is to us, but these two things, this knowledge and this being, cover the imaginary eye, like the dragon. It covers a lot of other little things. So we're speaking in general because we're speaking in general. We're not speaking specifically about all these little eyes and all these negative states and all these other things. We're speaking in general. So you need to shift with the way we're speaking. You need to move with that and not let your mind bog you down with details. The mind will bog you down with details. Connie is an artist, and so she has, if you go to her office and look on her desk, she'll have, she had probably hundreds of brushes on her desk, probably hundreds, all different sizes. None of them very big. I mean, she paints with little tubes of paint, you know, and little canvases. She doesn't paint houses or office buildings and things like that. If she were to paint houses and office buildings, it would be absurd to use those brushes. That's all I'm saying here. To bring out those brushes to paint big pictures is pointless. You will end up frustrating yourself and not understanding. So you have to know which brush to use when. Now you need a big brush because we're talking about big ideas. Later, when we talk about how to apply those big ideas, we'll use progressively smaller brushes as we get closer and get into more detail about practical application. But right now, we're talking about the idea, this big idea of the work of healing this divorce. So that's the problem that this work addresses. Conscious love is an act of will. Will originates in being, which is full of rotten will toward others. Talk about will. Your (laughs) will is putrid. It is full of jealousy, it is full of judgment, it is full of disliking, it is full of coveting, and all the other things that smell like that, that stink like that. Because our will is like that, because our being is like that. So in our being are all of these things that are impure, that don't belong there if we wish to develop so what we need then is knowledge to guide the will but what happens is knowledge gets so far ahead of being that we lose sight of being altogether and knowledge just makes up being it makes up this body of knowledge and it calls it being and it's not real being it's a false being and thus you have false personality which is this other thing that is not real at all. And it's because your being got lost. You got divorced from your being. You didn't do it, so you don't have to worry about that. You didn't do it. This is how it happens on this planet. This is what you get when you grow up on this planet. That's all there is to it. This is what you get when you grow up on this planet. But why does it have to be that way? Blah, blah, blah. Don't waste your time with that. That's like Connie saying in the car, well, who is it that finds what is not false? You know, everything's false personality to you know, find out what isn't. Well, who finds what isn't? Well, I don't know and I don't care. Just find out what isn't. Don't worry about who finds out what isn't. Just find what isn't. That is the directive. We want to change the directive. Why? Because we're idiots. We don't know anything. We're unconscious. And so when something comes from us, from the conscious circle of humanity, we judge it. We say, well, how does it work? Well, I don't understand it, so therefore it's not true. Do you see that? So we're the ultimate authority and we're lost. Nothing changes. We, We remain the same. Will belongs to the side of being, but taking in this work belongs to the side of knowledge. They must develop equally in us in order to produce that very valuable force that I talk about a lot called understanding. Understanding is what we need. If you understand that other person, you cannot possibly be negative toward that other person. There's just no way understanding dissolves the possibility of you being negative toward that other person. So understanding is the greatest force that we can create in ourselves, and we're not doing it. We're doing everything else instead. And this is what this work is about, and this is why I'm talking about it. Since being and knowledge are divorced from one another, we don't see them together, and we won't see them together. We won't see them together because they are not together. The result is worse than no understanding. It's misunderstanding confusion of tongues hell on earth what is confusion of tongues you say something and i think i know what you mean you say something and you think you know what you mean (laughs) that's the confusion of tongues it's not just i think i know what you mean but you actually think that you know what you mean when the truth is you have no idea what you mean because you're not one because you don't understand that and because you don't understand the eye that's talking or that there is an eye talking you're lost it was like pat's question this morning well do i do this or do i do that it's like well you can't do anything one of the first reminders in this work is you can't do you're not one you can't do and you're not awake if you'll go back to that triad there you can't do you're not one and you're not awake you go back to those two things. You will bring yourself back to, you'll center yourself. Do you understand that if you get off, and we always get off, we're off all the time, that when you get off, you bring yourself back to those three ideas. And you have the foundation of this work. You're not one. You're not awake. And you can't do. Now, they are connected together. So that's really one idea. But it can be broken down into three parts. You can't do because you're not one. You're not one because you're not awake. If you were awake, you would instantly see that you're not one. And as soon as you really saw that you were not one, as soon as you woke up and saw that you were not one, you would then be able to see how to become one. And you would become one. But that's not happening because we're in this loop where we get lost and we forget these things. So I'm reminding you, because this work is spaced repetition and constant reminders. People want exercises. Well, tell me what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Remember yourself. Observe yourself. Remember these ideas. Bring these ideas up to the level of incoming impressions moment by moment. That's what to do. Well, how do you do that? You do it in a thousand million different ways. Oh, but tell me some. Why? You won't do them. Yes, I will. You're just trying to hide it from me. No, you won't do them. You can't do them because you're not one and you're asleep and you can't do. And then you know how that goes. You know how that goes. Then we start to fight that. So the first thing we have to do is stop believing in ourselves. You may as well ask somebody to swallow... Mount Everest. That's a big one. No, I can't swallow Mount Everest. Well, lick the snow off it or something, you know, get a start on it at least. You know, get a start on it. Don't just sit there and tell me you can't do it. Get a start on it. I can't eat a whole elephant. Well, get a start on it cuz you're never going to you're never going to get anything done at all by sitting there saying you can't do it. Maybe you'll get help, I don't know. You know, you look at an ant. You look at an ant carrying a big body, a carcass of some thing. Or you look at an ant, an ant comes in and it finds some dead thing. And at first there's just one ant. It starts. And you know that ant's not going to be able to eat that thing. But then other ants show up. And other ants and other ants and other ants. And the next thing you know, that thing is swarming with ants. And then after a while, it's gone. And then after a while, the ants are gone. And there's nothing left but bones. Now, that's what it's like for us. We may start just one ant with a big thing to deal with. But there is help if we just keep at it in the right way. We can pull down influences from above that will strengthen us and help us and get the job done no understanding misunderstanding results in open or covert ill will toward people which makes us negative and leads down to violence don't understand someone that is going to lead to either open ill will or covert hidden ill will you'll have ill will toward a person and you'll lie about it give me an example of that anyone (laughs) okay your relationship with your brother-in-law you have ill will toward him but you pretend not to exactly and this is this perfect example. It's a perfect example. Good to know that Brian is still a problem in your life after all these years. Doesn't mean that you're not working on it, and it doesn't mean that you're not better about it. The fact that you could bring it up so quickly tells me that you are working on it and you are better about it because there was a time you would lie about it or there was a time you would just seethe. You're not seething now. You're just acknowledging, I have a problem. This is a problem for me, and it's been a problem for a long time, and I don't want it to be a problem anymore. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this work does work. Violence is not conscious love, and it's not the aim of this work. I just want to get that straight, just in case you had this convoluted thing that thinks for you, that that it calls thinking, this convoluted thing that thinks for you, can say that violence is conscious love. How can it say that? This is going to hurt me more than it does you. That's how it does that. I'm doing this for your own good. That's how it does that. That's how it takes violence and, and says it's conscious love. It's not. This work is not about that. You cannot, will not understand this work if you are awash in negative emotions. That's all there is to it. You cannot, you will not ever understand this work if you are awash in negative emotions. And people, I hate to be the bearer of ill news, but you are awash in negative emotions. That is why you do not understand this work. And that is why you're not getting results. You're not getting the results you want. Of course, we just talked about you getting results. That thing could be handled by now. But you would have to give up negative emotions. And that's not going to happen now, is it? because you still enjoy them too much and you still enjoy them too much because you do not understand what they're doing to you you do not see what they are doing and so you enjoy them you give them a pass so they have a pass you allow yourself negative emotions how do you do that self-justification is one way what's another way self-righteousness yeah <coughs> self-justification self-righteousness is pretty much the same denial, uh, denial that's good denial is good there's another way if you wait long enough i won't i'll forget it imagination yeah we imagine that we're not negative that's another way Blame? Yeah, that's kind of like denial and imagination mixed together, isn't it? <laughs> the fact is you've come up with a lot of ways, and that's important. It's not important, did you come up with the right answer. Well, I know it's important to you. <laughs> I can see the look on your face. What do you mean it's not important? I have to get the right answer. I always get A's. I have to be excellent. Isn't that true? Yeah. So what do you mean it's not important? Well, what I mean is you came up with a good answer, and a good answer is the right answer. Now, but, but, but it wasn't the answer you were thinking of. Well, I forgot what I was thinking of. So maybe it was. Now you've ruined everything. Yes, I've ruined everything because now you can't be better than everybody else. <laughs> That's how I've ruined everything. But if you'll let that go, you can have a happy life with no negative emotions if you'll let that go. Now, the question is, are you really willing to let that go? I don't know. That's quite a payoff. I've been doing that for so many years. That's really my center of gravity. That's where I live. I, I go back to that like a dog returns to its vomit. I go back to that like a homing pigeon finds its home. You know, I go back to that like a dog returns to its master at at supper time. You can count on me to get back to that. Yes, I can. But I can count on this work to alter the course of your life if you will listen to it, obey it, give it a place inside of you. It will alter your life. It will alter your being. How? Well, By yoking properly knowledge and being. The emotional center is home to buried conscience, which goes against self-will, hatred, and violence. Buried conscience is real conscience. It's real conscience. There is one real conscience, and it is the same for everyone. Then there is acquired conscience, which is different for many people. Different cultures, different countries, different genders have different conscience. So what's good for one person is not good for another person because their conscience is acquired. But there is a buried conscience, a real conscience underneath all of that, that can guide all mankind. Because it clears away all the peripheral stuff that is unnecessary in acquired conscience. And it's based on something real. We don't know what that is because it's buried. But we can talk about it. We can say for sure that it goes against self-will, hatred, and violence. It's the emotional center which must accept and try to do the work. I've told you this a long time, how important the emotional center is for this work. Self-will is useless for this. Self-will doesn't ever get the emotional center involved in this work. Why is that? Because it only wants what it wants. It's not the least bit interested in buried conscience. It's not the least bit interested in anything that's real. It just wants what it wants. Self-will. Self-emotions. Exactly. So we must employ the intellectual part which can acquire knowledge of the work, which can be curious about the work. This is a beginning step. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. It's a beginning step that everyone needs to take, or almost everyone. Some people do not, but we don't know those people. There are people who don't need that. They're already connected emotionally. They don't need that. But we do need that. So modern man needs that as a rule. That's why we say that. Unless knowledge of the work begins to act on the will, there's a divorce between knowledge and being. So knowledge of the work has to work on the will. If it doesn't act on the will, then being can't change. You're never going to change your level of being unless knowledge begins to act on the will. Now, for you, a little bit of knowledge has acted on your will. There are some things that you will to do that you didn't used to will to do. Because now you have some knowledge and you accepted that knowledge, now you you will to do it. Now, it's not a lot, but it's a little bit, some things. Do we agree on this? Mm -hmm. So you know that there are some negative emotions that you will not to take part in. But there are some negative emotions that are just Okay. (laughs) That you, just, you haven't accepted the knowledge, the full knowledge, about negative emotions. And so they have, it's not acted on your will. So there are, some, there are some negative emotions that you do will. As long as you know that, that's good. Reese Nicole said, A simple definition of being is the quality of the will of the person concerned. If it's ill-willed towards certain people, the level of being is low. You can know the work, but you have to will to do it. This is our problem. We do know the work. We don't will to do it. This is the problem we have. We will to do all these other things because we are run by self-will. And that must change. If you don't will to do the work, the work c- cannot, will not enter into your life and change it. It's that simple. Unfortunately, we're all in this predicament as I speak. Each one of us, we all know better and act worse about something. We haven't got the will to do what we know we want to do. You remember what Paul said? The thing, that I, I don't the thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, I do. And this is exactly this awareness and the desperation that comes from that. Because this is a desperate cry when you hear Paul say it. When Paul says it, he's being, it's like, ah, wretched man that I am. This whole body of the false personality, this whole thing that's moving forward, that I've acquired in life, this big pharisaical liar. I want to do this, but it makes me do that. The very thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing because it is more powerful than me. And then he goes on to say, who will save me from this body, this, this whole body of thoughts and feelings that he calls the body of death? Because it is going to the grave. It's pulling him to the grave with it. It's dying, and it's going to kill him and everybody else. And it's going to drag him along with it. And he's saying, who, who will save me from this? Well, and then he says, well, the work. Of course, he didn't say the work, but that's who will save him. That's who will save anybody, the work. Well, what does the work represent? The work represents conscious circle of humanity. The work represents those people who woke up and then told us how to do it and told us what we needed to do and instructed us how to do it, and then that got lost. You can't go to one of Paul's churches today and find how to wake up. They're not waking people up because they lost it. They got exoteric instead of esoteric, and they got into the outside of things instead of the inside of things. And now they're building churches, and they're getting people to come in, and they're passing the basket around to get money, and they're sending other people out on missions to make their converts twice as fit for hell as they are themselves. It's like, that's not working. It's not working. Well, but there's one or two people who are good people. Look, we're not talking about good people or bad people. We're talking about people who are awake or asleep. That's what we're talking about. The criteria here is not whether you're a good person or not. I don't care if you're a good person. There's not a good person in this room. There's not a good person on this planet. There are people who are awake and there are people who are asleep. There are people who are dead and there are people who are not. That's what's on this planet. And that is what buried conscience is going to show you. It will show you this good and bad stuff is all acquired nonsense. It will show you that awake and asleep is all that matters. Conscious and unconscious is what matters. Light and no light. Light and darkness. What is in the darkness, what is in the dark side of you, is what is controlling you. And it's controlling you because you are not aware of it. Because you can't see it. You can't do anything about it. And that's why Paul said what he said. And that's why this work exists. If you don't will to do the work, it cannot change you. It can't get inside of you. Here's a catch. It's better to know you know better and act worse than it is to know it. I mean, it's better to know it. So if you know, you know better and act worse, it's better to know it than it is not to know it. Here's the catch. It can easily become the end if we rest there. And I've seen so many people do this. Oh, I know that I know better and act worse. And that's it. They stop right there. It's like, well, that's That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What's the use? Or they're they're satisfied. They're satisfied with, I know better and act worse. I have that knowledge. So much more than everybody else on the planet. planet, They all think they know and they can do what what they know. They all think they're doing it. I know that I'm not. So they stop right there. That's a very dangerous thing. To really grasp this sincerely in yourself, that this is the condition in which we live, will undo the hold of the false personality on your life. The false personality has a death grip on your throat. There's not anything that you can really do without it. And it won't let you do anything. So getting this... Sincerely, genuinely getting this about yourself, inside of yourself, that this is your condition, that you know better and act worse. That will begin to undo the hold of the false personality on you. It will catapult you to a much higher level than the sleeping, mechanical men and women we are when this work finds us. When this work finds us, we are in need. You know, I think of the story about how uh, you know, God says to, to Israel, you know, through a prophet, He says, Well, look, when I found you, you were lying in the field all bloody. And I'm the one who picked you up and rubbed you with salt. I'm the one who warmed you and gave you a robe. I'm the one who cleaned you up. I'm the one who did all this for you. And now you're saying that that the false personality did all this for you. Well, that's a lie. I'm the one who did all this for you. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who cares for you. I'm the one that's real. This other one that you picked up along the way, this other liar, that's not real and you need to find that out. It kind of reminds me of that this whole idea of conscious love comes from much higher beings than those with which we are familiar. <laughs> you got to know that. You go, "Oh yeah, the angels love, you know. It's got to but that's that's as good as we can get." You know, it's got it comes from higher beings. We don't know people like this. You know, look at look at the stir that Mother Teresa caused on this planet. I don't know how much conscious love was going on there, but it was certainly more than most people. And it caused a huge stir on this planet, didn't it? Huge stir. Well, not as big as, you know, a war or some violent thing that we all love. So, you know, the deliciousness of life. But it caused a huge stir nonetheless. Real peace, real happiness are inextricably connected with conscious love. They cannot be separated from conscious love. Real peace and real happiness cannot be separated from conscious love. Sorry about that. Those of you who don't want anything to do with conscious love, sorry. I didn't make the rules. You know, I'm just telling you how it is. But you want to fight... The universe about that then go right ahead it's like real water's wet and you know it's like you, if you want water you're gonna have to take wet along with it that's how it goes you will never realize this by trying to love people and you notice that trying to love people does not work it just does not work you try to love brian no it doesn't work you try to love diana that doesn't work you know you try to love me you, you try that doesn't work people pretend they love all the time yet end up being vicious toward one another when they're wounded These are the facts. So conscious love cannot be carried off externally without a corresponding internal development of understanding. This is why conscious love is not possible. It's not possible to teach this, and it's not possible to love people. You can't do it. You cannot love people. You cannot do. So get this straight in your head right now, you idiots who are out there trying to love people. You see somebody who actually really loves people, and then you imitate what they do. And you wonder why you don't love people. It's because you're imitating what they've done. You imitate Mother Teresa. Do you have any idea how many people are out there imitating Mother Teresa and hating it? (laughs) It's like, this is awful. Why? This is why. Because it can't be taught. It can't be imitated. It has to come from a corresponding internal development of understanding. This is why the work doesn't teach us to love one another. The work teaches us to try to find in ourselves what we criticize in others. That's what the work teaches us. Look, try to find in yourself what you criticize in others. That's where the work starts. Why? Because the work knows where we're at. It knows that you're not Mother Teresa. (laughs) It knows that. It knows that you're not Saint whatever. It's very clear on that. Very clear. You're the one who's unclear on that. That's why you need the work. Because you don't know who you are and what you are. You don't know. You need to be told. You need to be shown. And you don't want to be told. And you don't want to be shown. Because that offends your self-love. Or the self-love. I have to call it. It's not your self-love. It's the self-love. All of this belongs to external considering. It's not enough to talk about it. You must really understand what it is. Finding in yourself what you dislike in others. Ouch. Finding in yourself what you dislike in others. The more you dislike them, the more you need to find that in yourself. The more they trigger that in you, the more you need to find it in yourself. Because it's in you. Or else it could not trigger that. It would be impossible for that to be triggered in you. There are people, I know people, who have reactions to someone and I just laugh. I just think it's comical. I just don't have that reaction to them. Why? It's not in me. Whatever it is that's bothering you isn't in me. Whatever it is that's bothering you about that person isn't in me. Now there may be another person that i have an equal reaction to and you have no reaction whatsoever you think they're just wonderful well then it's in me see it's in me and that's what we need to see and that's what we need to deal with and that's what this work is about finding in yourself what you dislike in others to do this you must really expand your awareness of yourself and realize you're not the person you took yourself to be ouch this is the harshness of the work i talked about remember the harshness of the work, how it rubs. The, positively negative. Yeah, it's positively positively negative to the false personality. It's just positively the wrong thing. The, you know, the, the, the false personality, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because it lives in outer darkness. And because it's in the outer darkness, it weeps and it gnashes its teeth because it doesn't want to come into the light, because it knows that its works are evil. And it'll keep you out there for eternity if you let it. When we're in a state of self-remembering, we see everyone fits in perfectly, if we like them or not. Liking and disliking become meaningless in the light of real meaning, greater meaning. We see it and lose it, but if we can remember it, the self-remembering, we can remember it, If we can remember it, if we can taste it, if we can remember that we had it, we can return to that state again. To begin, we must first perceive our lack of conscious love. We've got to see that we are violent, hateful people, that we are negative people. You've got to see this about yourself. If you're unwilling to see this about yourself, this work is not for you. You must at least have some willingness to doubt yourself, to think that just maybe it's not all the world, that maybe you have something to do with it. You can't do that. This work is not for you. You're not ready for it now. You need to go beat your face against the pavement some more or the brick wall some more. And then later, maybe, you'll have had enough, and you'll come back to it and be able to look at it. Then we can make the 2-1 or... So no one can ever separate them again. So right now, everyone separates us. We separate for nothing. Someone walks in and they don't smile at us. We divorce knowledge and being. We know better, we act worse. Right now, we react to people that way. But this work is about getting us to the point where that doesn't have to happen anymore. And then the divorce is healed. And then there comes a time when there's just no way that that person can bother you. There's no way, because you understand that person. And why you understand that person is because you understand you. So you have gone full circle and found exactly what is written, the first charge at the Temple of Delphi. Man, know thyself. Know yourself. Then you will know others. You genuinely, really, sincerely know yourself. You will know others. You will understand them that will make negative emotions impossible, it will make hatred impossible, and it will make self-love as natural as a flower facing the sun. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application, In your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.